It's time once again for another episode of All That's Jazz, the podcast that explores everything in the world of jazz. And here now is your host, Alan Scott. Hello and welcome to another episode of All That's Jazz. Sometimes music artists breathe new life into underappreciated classic songs when either they record or perform these tunes. Oftentimes, this is the result of a deep love and a respect for those compositions. And you might say that it was meant to be or in the stars, especially when they appear on a record album. And this is exactly what happened on a new release by Skip and Dan Wilkins Quartet called, appropriately enough, In the Stars. And this is on the Deerhead Records label. My guests today are veteran pianist and composer Skip Wilkins and his son, saxophonist Dan Wilkins. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us here on All That's Jazz. Great to be with you. Happy to be here. Thank you. And it is indeed a pleasure to have you here with us. So let me get started by talking a little bit about the release itself uh, and it's my understanding, Skip, that this is the culmination of an inspiration through the COVID-19 pandemic and isolation period of time that we all went through, as has so much music and other creative pursuits of these days brought forth. So is, is that a, a proper assessment of uh, how this came about? I think it's a, a delay, <laughs> of something we wanted to do. We actually had a plan. We were on our way to realizing it. And then COVID happened and that shut everything down. And when it felt safe to get going again, we actually changed some things and it felt like a different project. And I think a lot of aspects of people's lives have felt different, ours included, in that period after COVID. So I think that maybe is the is is the COVID connection. Um, it turns out that this is the, the second of three recordings that we're doing on Deerhead Records. Uh, the first one is called Someday. That came out in 2019. Mm -hmm. And so this, this uh, record was, in effect, something we were thinking about earlier, but we were waiting for the right time to do it. And we had actually started assembling tunes in the fall of 19... Dan and I, and then getting together with a quartet in early 2020. I went off to Europe, came home, and from that point forward, it was clear that things were going to be very difficult, and we just had to suspend. And so when we finally started to rehearse again and plan a rec plan the recording date, the, the new date that we had, the canceled date was, by the way, uh, the end of March 2020, we started to get together again in June of 2021, and then we recorded in July. But by then, we were in a different place. So we were mm -hmm. we picked some different tunes. We didn't do everything maybe the, in the way we thought we would. And I think the feeling was inevitably different in our lives, in everyone's sure. lives. 
So during this period of time, Dan, uh, were you and your father communicating back and forth uh, about putting this together in terms of music selection, arrangements, the production of it, etc.? To be honest, it's quite a blur, just that whole period of time. <laughs> uh, but we already had a lot of music that we had been experimenting with. And I do remember conversing back and forth and meeting up from time to time to try out some new music. Uh, so we definitely did some, some rehearsals together uh, before we put it together with the quartet and uh, tried to find repertoire that we felt would uh, both reflect the strengths of the musicians and felt personal to us. Was there an intended purpose of finding those things, as I had talked about in the opening, about an underappreciated uh, number of uh, classical songs or compositions, Dan? Absolutely. Uh, you, you know, my, my dad is quite a collector of, of these uh, these songs and both in his own from his own you know listening to radio broadcasts and he'll he'll collect them from that and from recordings and also I, he has a number of students that are interested in the same sort of thing so from that and then also my own interest in old music we we sort of found a repertoire that was perhaps underplayed so, Skip, a, a lot of uh, the music that you perform and arrange and are involved with in terms of uh, what you do, uh, is there a, a fair amount of focus on the Great American Songbook? Well, there always has been since I was a little kid. And what's interesting is that, you know, I have quite a few uh, releases as a leader or co-leader, and most of them are original music recordings and wasn't actually until around 2009, 2010, 11, that I came out with an album of all of material that I didn't write. And yet I'd been playing it my whole life and been interested in it. And it was almost like a discovery that, gee, I should do some of this. And a few years later, we got going on this project. Does that same love, honor, and respect, Dan, uh, happen for you as well in terms of Great American Songbook? Or are there other music influences that maybe uh, either lend itself to this project or maybe it's a total departure from what you really wanted to be doing? Uh, you know, I, I'm certainly involved in other types of music, but for, for this project, I think, you know, my heart was kind of in, in these older songs. Uh, you know, a few of the ones that we picked out were, were songs that I came to know from the Ink Spots, for example. Mm. Um, which is <laughs> not not the typical music that you hear on the radio these days, but, you know, things that are near and dear to my heart. Skip, this is on Deerhead Records, and, and Deerhead has uh, a rather significant role in your life, personally and professionally. Yes, it does. <laughs> um, I, I could tell you the story of how I ended up deciding to live there. Of course, I knew about it when I was still living in Colorado and came when I was moving back to the East Coast, that was one of the places that I went. I, I had been on a sabbatical from a, my college teaching position at Lafayette College, and I was in the club with Dan, actually, on Memorial Day in, in 2012. And I didn't have a place to live when I came back from, from Europe. I actually had sold my car. I didn't have a U.S. address for those 15 months while I was living in Prague. And, mm. and uh, I had to figure some things out. So it just it was a funny situation. Uh, we went to the Deerhead that day to get photos taken for another album that we had done 
came out on uh, Steeplechase Lookout. The album's called Father and Son. And we were there to actually do photos for that album. And because we knew a photographer who would do a great job, Laurie Samet, who actually is with Bill Goodwin, that they're a couple. So that's another <laughs> interesting part of the story. But so it turned out that they I said, hey, Skip, would you play the big band date today? And uh, the big band then directed by, or essentially, you might say spiritually directed by Phil Woods. He mm -hmm. wasn't always there, but he was there most of the time. And sure, I'll do it. And then Dan ended up on the gig that day, too. So I'm standing at the bar. So, so far, this is a good day. We got photos. And then I said to the, one of the owners, I said, hey, Denny, whatever happened with that place, you know, in the carriage house? And he says, it's finished. Do you want to look at it? And I said, sure. So I've lived there for 10 years. I came, I moved right hmm. in. I flew back from Europe and moved right into the Deerhead at the end of August in, in 2012. And all of that happened that same day. And by the way, I, I got into the, uh, that was my audition for Phil's band. And I made it and ended up in the band. The big band, the large ensemble. Sure. So it was a good day. So that the Deerhead has been good to me. <laughs> yeah. In indeed, it has, uh, and and you're still living there now, correct? I still live there, and uh, and Bill Goodwin also lives there. He has an apartment there as well. So we see each other, as we jokingly say, on the campus. But it's you know it's the preeminent one of the preeminent jazz clubs with a history in America because it's. It's it's the oldest place continually operating in one place that's had jazz of this caliber since the 1950s, and it 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 just it there are ghosts in that building of this music of people who played there, and it's also unusual where because of where it is. You usually tend to find really well-known clubs with a long history in cities, and this is in a in a rural area in a you know right it's it's just. I mean, yards from the Appalachian Trail it goes right through Delaware Water Gap, and that's the town where the Deerhead is. It's right, right there on the Delaware River, separating New Jersey and and Pennsylvania. And it's a bucolic area. I guess it's not such a surprise that artists and painters and sculptors and poets and novelists and musicians and composers and other such creative people, dancers and the like, would want to live in a place like that. This club is really the center of a lot of artistic life in the region and it's not so far from new york as well which has mm -hmm. obviously been important to not just the clientele that can get there but the artists who can who can get out of the city and come in and play and, and head back home that night are you still uh, skip uh, dividing your time between uh Deerhead Inn, uh, where you live uh, in that area and a place that you had i believe in prague i still have the apartment in prague in vinohrady and um, and I'm I'm going back and forth when I can. I've found first the COVID years made that you know much harder. Uh, didn't get there for a period of almost eighteen months. There was a point in time where I was somehow holding down a college teaching position and spending about five months of the year there. So I'm going to be resuming that. I'm actually winding down my academic career. I'll be leaving college, full time college teaching, in a year and spending more time there, but. Not all my time. You know, the, the quarter note is here, it turns out. And I say that with respect to my uh, European friends and friends around the world. Uh, there's a difference hearing the music where it comes from, and I need to have some contact with that. Mm -hmm. But I also love to play for European audiences. And Dan and I have recorded there together. We've toured there together and want to do that more. And so I'll, I'll go back and forth. 
I have to ask you, Skip, uh, it, first of all, I would imagine it, it's got to be an absolute thrill for you to work with one of your children uh, on an album uh, and be fellow collaborators uh, and, and work in conjunction with each other in this music of jazz. Yeah, that's absolutely the case. And actually, both of my children are musicians, and, uh, and I've worked professionally with both of them. Uh, in different capacities, but with with Dan, you know, not only were we playing together since he was very young, before the age when that he described, and we were playing gigs in public. I think he was twelve, probably already when we were doing that, twelve or thirteen. And so that was something I, I had a front row seat for the whole development. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's a big part of it. But you know, the, the record that we would record together was probably pretty inevitable. The, the first recording we made, as I had said earlier, was actually original music, and but we'd been playing the the gamut of of different things. So it, it is it is a, a great thrill, and I would say that I take Dan's advice on on just so many things, and I have since he was young. <laughs> What was it like in your household? Because you're on saxophone, your dad's a pianist. Uh, how come you're not a pianist? Well, I, I am. I, I came to the piano much later, you know. Uh, I think I was sort of resistant to it at the time. And I took piano lessons as a kid. Uh, but it didn't it didn't click with me in the same way as uh, as playing the horn. Something Something about the vocal nature of the saxophone really... Uh, clicked with me and you know I've, I've always sung my whole life and, and my sister was a singer and a pianist too so there there was there was music everywhere and I think I kind of wanted to find my own niche so that I gravitated towards the saxophone after uh, taking drum lessons for a few years and stuck with it. Both of you have worked uh, significantly with a number of very very important and notable figures uh, in the world of music and I think you're both uh, very fortunate to have that to bring into your collaborations together. And speaking of collaboration, uh, on this uh, particular recording, uh, In the Stars, you also uh, work with your bassist Tony Marino and drummer Bill Goodwin. And uh, tell me, Skip, uh, about the two of them. How long have the two of you been uh, or the three of you been together or at least uh, have known each other? So Dan was four years old when we moved to Pennsylvania. And I met Bill, I met uh, Tony first and, and started to play with him immediately. I met him on uh, December 28th, 1995. Um, it's pretty rare when you remember a date that well, but it, it just shows that what an amazing player he was. And that was an extraordinary experience for me. I knew... Uh, there were a number of things that happened in that very first performance, and I said, this is the guy for me. And subsequently, we've recorded a number of albums, original music, these Deerhead series, and others. So, so I, And I continued to work with him regularly, you know, have continued to work with him regularly from that point. I don't think I played with Bill immediately, although I met him fairly quickly and started to play with Bill maybe three or four or five years later, sparingly at first. And and then once I moved into the Deerhead, we started to play together quite a bit more often. Proximity does uh, does something for that. And I, I think maybe I took a page out of out of Phil Wood's book, you know, because what Phil was always about was finding players right where he lived that he wanted to build a concept with. 
And that's how the Phil Woods Quartet slash Quintet got started the same way. And so it made a lot of sense. I was spending a lot of time around Bill. Every Thursday night at the Deerhead, there's a jam session. For many of the years that I have lived there, he's he's been doing that Thursday night. So I try to go. And, you know, our, our band is, is a three-generation band. And Bill's 20 years older than me. He doesn't like me reminding him of that, but it is what it is. And, and you know, I, I have always felt like I need mentors too. And um, I've been a teacher for much of my professional life as a player, as well as a teacher of jazz. And I've, I've been a mentor, but I've had mentors. And Bill, I think I say this in the liner notes, Bill really is, is a mentor to me as well. And mm. I love, I, I have his voice in my head I think about music differently because of knowing him and playing with him. And so then once that got started, it, it made a whole lot of sense to try to connect the band. Of course, Bill and Tony knew each other since Tony was in high school. Tony's in his early 60s, so <laughs> a long time. You know, Bill's lived in the, the Poconos since around 1970 uh, when he got off the road with Gary Burton, maybe 72. And... Then went on the road for forty years with Phil Woods. <laughs> Tell me about the the title of this release, "In the Stars." Was I somewhere hinting around through that uh, in my introduction, uh, or is there another backstory to "In the Stars"? I guess I have to take that one. Uh, well, first of all, it one of the things that I did with both. Uh, the first and second release was to relate something to a part of a title or lyric to a tune. And one of the tunes that we recorded on this album, which I so love, Kurt Vile tune called Lost in the Stars. Decided not to not to uh, quote it directly, but in the stars, it did feel like it was in the stars that we would get this together. This album has two tracks on it that were uh, held from the first record because we couldn't put them all out, and they were just as good <laughs> as everything that was on the first record. And in fact, it in fact the next one has two more, and that was sort of part of the plan. So when we went into the studio finally in July of twenty one. We recorded enough material right at that time for for two albums because we had these four tunes, two for each album that we were holding, and so that so really though it's all part of one one process. But I think the the second two albums, you know, two and three, the one we're talking about today in the stars, and the next one feel different because of what we had all lived through and what the culture and the societies around the world had lived through during the COVID period. And so I think there, there might be something uh, metaphoric in that, that we're, that we're back and it's in the stars that we would, we would play together again and, and find our way to resuming the band and discovering what we sound like after sure. all that time, not playing together. You know? 
So I would imagine, Dan, that uh, a lot of this music uh, that's on this uh, latest recording uh, in the stars might be familiar to you in terms of the composers uh, and arrangers of a lot of the music. Uh, You know, names like Gershwin and Hoagie Carmichael, Kurt Weill, uh, Blossom Deary, etc. You mentioned Ink Spot, so you must have some inkling (laughs) about these people. Of course, yeah. Uh, You you know, I grew up with hearing this music. My grandparents were, uh, well, my my grandmother's still alive. And uh, and, and as a kid, we we would always have dinner together and, and they would play Blossom Deary. So <laughs> some of my, my foremost memories of music are, you know, appreciating that music, you know, her recording of Tea for Two and uh, Once Upon a Summertime, you know, these, these kind of songs, they, they kind of stuck with me. Those are the kind of sentiments that I like to pursue, you know, music. So why, Skip, did you choose our uh, Sweet Georgie you know, fame? Georgie fame, yeah. Yes. You know, I think in a way... It, it's like anything on the album. You know, we had a bunch of tunes. We had maybe 15 or 20 others that we didn't record. Either we, we decided not to record them or didn't particularly love them or didn't love them enough or we just simply had too much material. And I liked the tune. I always liked the tune. And Dan liked the tune. And the band liked the tune. So it was one of the things that sort of happened in a rehearsal when we were trying to decide. We had, you know, three or four other possibilities that we might play in three, four time. And we ended up liking how it came together. It really wasn't based on my personal experience with Georgie fame and knowing anything about the repertoire in England, but, but knowing Blossom's music and liking it. And, and, and it's an homage to her for writing the tune. I think I think really, I'm not sure that any other tune on the album came about any other way than that. Mm-hmm. You know, we 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 loved the tunes. We loved a lot of tunes. There are hundreds of tunes, hundreds, thousands of tunes. And how many can we record? Well, we we want to record the ones we feel like we really can get to. That that we have something maybe new to say about it, or mm-hmm. at least our own to say about it. And that that was one of them. <laughs> Let's take a moment and just go through some of the other tracks so that uh, our listeners can appreciate why or the backstory behind some of them. And l- let me start out with uh, one that I, I especially like. and it, It's it's a song that's been around. It's an old chestnut, and it's Brother, Can You Spare a Dime? So Brother Spare a Dime is a, a very interesting tune, not just musically, but in the social history of, of the song. And when it came out, uh, Yip Harburg, E.Y. Yip Harburg is the lyricist. And he was, he was, a, he was a, a very left-wing kind of thinker at, in the 30s. Of course, this was the period of the Depression. And the lyrics directly address what happened to the men who came home from the First World War 
who did everything they were supposed to do. They built the country, and then what happened to them? And the song really deals with that. And in a sense, the lyrics on the album, and I, I don't, the, the album is not a political album, so let me just say that. But true for every song, I have a, some experience with the lyrics of all the tunes. And I think about the lyrics when I when I program the tunes and, and from the perspective of I'm aware of what what the storyline is and the feeling of, of the words. Mm -hmm. And so this would be really important. And that, that's so that's where it really came from. song and heard it i didn't know the verse though we learned i learned that a few years ago and just decided i really loved the whole picture and see what dan thinks about it and that's how it ended up on the album dan what about you uh is there a particular track on this album that you would say is uh your favorite or one that showcases you and your talent as saxophonist oh, I don't know about my talent, but I, I, I know that there's like certain songs on here that I'm very partial to. Uh, Brother, Can You Spare a Dime is definitely one of them. Uh, Loss of the Stars, which we spoke about. I'll Never Smile Again. and believe are both ones that I know from the ink spots. selections that I uh, vouched for and uh, yeah they you know it gets me into a different character when I play them too. Did you arrange any of these tunes yourself Dan? You know a lot of the arranging is fairly loose you know we're, we're specific about um, certain entries into the song and then we we leave a lot of it up to you know the the quartet's will as a as an ensemble to interpret so um you know the arranging normally came about with uh, me and my dad you know we would we would we would uh, decide how a lot of the the pacing would go but ultimately you, you know we would also make decisions as a group 
so it was a very collaborative pr process. What about for yourself, Skip? Is there a particular uh, track here that uh, is your pet or one that just has a special meaning to you? I'm looking down at all the titles, and that's so hard to ask to answer that question. I definitely have a special feeling for playing Lost in the Stars um, for many personal reasons. And I also, I love, I love playing I'm Making Believe. I think that that recording on this album is just absolutely fantastic. And there's a, there's a, there's a, a duo ballad that we played on the album that I think is maybe illustrative of, of, of the idea of an arrangement, non-arrangement. Uh, and that that tune is a Gershwin tune that he, he didn't record that tune. Um, he didn't write that tune with his brother. It was written with Irving Caesar in the earlier 20s. It's called I Was So Young, You Were So Beautiful. I used to play that on the road. I used to sing that, actually, in Europe with a trio that I was playing with for years and going back and forth between here and Europe to work with them. And so that some of those some of these tunes might have come from ideas that we I'd begun to explore but with Dan it's totally different we don't try I don't try to recreate arrangements that worked before I try to get to the new arrangement and the point of the point of it is that the way we recorded that and I recall it in the studio is that we didn't we didn't set down how it was going to flow who was going to play which part of the melody to the verse who was going to play which part of the melody to the tune we just listened until it was time for someone else to pick it up and it 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 sounds like it's planned hear us play it live it would absolutely not be like that it would be different every time and it would be it would just be it would be delivered in the moment and i think that's true of the whole album actually so did bill or tony choose something that they wanted to put on the album uh, was that part of the deal i don't remember that happening but i do remember having i i, I did have conversations with with tony and bill particularly with Bill, about tunes that he especially loved. And there's a couple on the album coming out next year that he especially loved that, that we're going to put out on the third release. And knowing that he loved them made me want to play them and made me want to find out if it worked for everyone else. Who chose the Jobim? Tell me the name of the title because uh, when I was riding on the truck of Brazilian language, I fell off the back end before I learned enough to say the the name i think it's brigash nunca mais that that's about what i hear when i hear some brazilians say the title of course it depends on what part of brazil was that me or you dan one of us i think you brought that one to the table i i, I wasn't familiar with it at the time really really nice piece i can't remember <clears throat> where i got it from now um if i heard it on the radio which is sometimes how i do it or or what happened but you know i know from talking to some of my friends that 
though I'm not hearing them play it. Some of my New York friends, they say, oh, yeah, that's getting played a lot now. And that really wasn't the reason I chose it. So, but it isn't, it, it's getting played a lot now, but it's been out there for a while. not getting overplayed so it's fun to play it i love the tune this is a great collaboration because in listening to the recording the four of you play together uh with a connection you, you can hear that all four of you are into what each other is doing uh, and then you put out this one group sound that, that it just says it's pure collaboration it is and i hope we're going to be more active together that's my plan, that we're going to get out there more, um, especially as I'm winding down this part of my career where I'm uh, spending more of my time in the classroom than I will be in the future. It'll be, it's time for that next chapter in life, and it's going to allow me to travel in different seasons and also just work on, work on developing venues, more venues for us to play in because it's a, it's a terrific band, and I want to do it. I want to do it while we can enjoy Bill. You know, he's 81 in, in, in a couple of weeks mm -hmm. and he's still playing strong and still wants to play and we want to play with him. So, What comes next? Any any plans uh, right now uh, other than around uh, the area that you're located in uh, to tour this album for the four of you? I hope we get to. Actually, I'm trying to figure out whether we're going to tour this album or tour, in effect, all three albums next uh, year from spring uh, i'll be finishing my classroom teaching life a year right a year from right now and bill and i are working on something that we hope will happen in the spring of 24 in europe and that's that's a post dated check at the moment so i think you're going to see us and i hope we'll be in denver as well oh, you know, I'd, I'd love to be touring in a lot of places that right now it's just not practical to do it Mm -hmm. uh, so we'll see what happens. So until but, such time as that happens or comes about, uh, Dan, let me start with you. How could our listeners learn more about you, your music? Absolutely. Um, well, I'm fairly active on social media, so you, you can find uh, me at my name, you know, Daniel Wilkins, and uh, perhaps as Dan Wilkins. I, I don't know what, what know what it is exactly, um, uh, but you, you, I'm posting all the time video and and. Uh, updates on gigs that are happening. You can tune in on the socials for those things. Great. And uh, Skip, what about yourself? Uh, I know you have a website. Sure, skipwilkinsjazz.com. You can read all the lies there. We update <laughs> the lies all the time. Um, but there's a lot of information there and about all the different releases and just absolutely way more information than you will ever want to know about me. So. If you don't want to know anything about me, don't go there. But if you do, <laughs> you know, there's there'll be information on up, upcoming performances. And it's always being updated. So not all of it 
not all of the 2023 stuff is actually active at the moment, but will be. And that's a good place to find out what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, also doing some work in social media to let the world know, but Dan's doing a better job of that than me. And that that's on my, my list of things to take care of because it's absolutely necessary to, to reach people different ways, uh, recognizing that. The record is getting around the country now. It's getting some, starting to get some airplay, and uh, it's had some reviews and some interest in having conversations just like the one we're having now, which we're so grateful for because it's a wonderful way to talk about what we do and mm-hmm. have folks hear the music and make their own decisions absolutely <laughs> about it. And uh, we wouldn't be able to do that without you. So we thank you for that. And I thank you for uh, the opportunity to share this information and uh, just some friendship and camaraderie uh, for the music uh, in in this conversation. And and I'm sure that uh, people will learn more about it. Uh, the album is on Deerhead Records. It's called In the Stars, and it's the Dan and Skip Wilkins Quartet. And I, I would like to wish both of you uh, all the best for the future. And I appreciate your time today and being our guests on All That's Jazz. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of All That's Jazz with pianist, composer, Skip Wilkins, and his son, saxophonist, Dan Wilkins. We'd like to thank Ben Sedrin for the use of Mr. P's Shuffle as our theme song. And visit us again next time for another interesting conversation on All That's Jazz. If you liked today's episode, please leave us a five-star rating on the streaming service you use. All That's Jazz is available on every major streaming app, including Podbean, Apple Podcast, and Spotify, as well as Facebook and online at allthatsjazz.net.